I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be reading Exodus chapters 4 through 6. In chapter 3, we find Moses talking to God, who's in the burning bush. Now beginning with chapter 4, verse 1, we see that Moses negotiates the terms of his contract. Verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again, and plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech, and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman to the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Well, when we left Moses in Exodus chapter 3, he was being told by God from the burning bush that he was to deliver his Hebrew brethren from Egyptian captivity. He hasn't seen those people in 40 years. He has a new life now. Who says God isn't long-suffering? Once Moses gets his marching orders from God, here in chapter 4, he begins to whine a little bit about his assignment. Moses first questions whether or not the people will believe him. Okay then, here are a couple of miracles you can do to convince them 
that you speak for God. Power over a stick, verses 3 and 4, and power over leprosy in verses 6 and 7. And if they're still not convinced, here's a third water-to-blood miracle you can do to convince them in verse 9. Well, that settles it, right? Well, not exactly. Moses then complains about his oratory skills. God assures him that he'll put his words into Moses' mouth. But Moses has another idea in verse 13. Here's what he says. Please send somebody else instead of me. Whoa. Is Moses declining a job offer from God himself? Well, yeah, but it doesn't work that way with God's call on one's life. As a matter of fact, verse 14 tells us that this reply angered God. Moses, you are the man. So here's God's word. How about if I send your less verbally challenged Levite brother Aaron to go along with you? He can be your assistant, verses 14 to 16. As job interviews go, I I think you'll agree that Moses did not do very well on his first outing, but he landed the job of his life anyway. God establishes an interesting relationship between Moses and Aaron in verse 16. Look closely at this. And he, meaning Aaron, shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he, shall be to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. Here we see Aaron is the spokesman, but for God, through Moses. That relationship is further expanded in Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Those two verses say this, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. Well, in that passage, we see that Moses will be all of the God that Pharaoh will ever meet. And Aaron shall serve as the prophet of Moses. So we see in chapter 4, beginning with verse 18, that Moses packs up to head back to Egypt. Verse 18. And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt. And see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go return unto Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife and his sons, and set them upon an ass. And he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return unto Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in thine hand, But I will harden his heart, and he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So we see here that after receiving a go-in-peace blessing from his father-in-law Jethro, Moses loads up his family and heads out on his 300-mile trip back to Egypt. He learns from God in verse 19 that the Pharaoh and regime who had wanted to kill Moses are all now dead. Pharaoh's death is first mentioned in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Moses has been gone from Egypt for the last 40 years. Along the way, he gets further detailed instructions on what to expect when he meets the new Pharaoh. 
Pay particular attention to a phrase you're going to be seeing over the next 11 chapters, over and over again. It appears for the first time here in verse 21 in reference to God's dealing with Pharaoh. And here's what it says, I will harden his heart. As I said, we'll see this phrase over and over again over the next 11 chapters. This concept of God hardening Pharaoh's heart appears 29 times through chapter 14. It'll cause you to ponder the question, now, why exactly was Pharaoh so stubborn? We'll get back to this several times over the next few chapters. Let's be clear here. God tells Moses in advance that this mission to Pharaoh is not going to be easy. Incidentally, You'll notice the special position Israel has with God in verse 22. Here's what it says. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Well, for national Israel, that statement has never been retracted, not even unto this day. In our next section of Scripture, beginning with chapter 4, verse 24, we find three verses regarding circumcision and Moses' Midianite wife, Zipporah, she doesn't exactly understand this practice, apparently. Verse 24, It came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go, and she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Well, and let me just say, it'd be nice to have a few more verses here to explain more specifically why God sought to kill Moses. From this brief description of the event, it would appear that Moses had deferred the circumcision of his family, apparently because Zipporah, his wife, was so repulsed by it. So, how important to God was circumcision? Well, here's what God told Abraham about it back in Genesis chapter 17, verse 14. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Well, I'd say it's pretty important, wouldn't you? However, when Zipporah sees God's wrath unleashed on Moses because of what apparently is family disobedience on this matter, she quickly springs into action on one of her sons and makes a very interesting comment as she throws the bloody foreskin of her son at Moses' feet. She says, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Do you get the impression that she thinks this whole thing is all Moses' fault? Husbands can sometimes be blame magnets. You know what I mean? From her perspective, a multi-day, 300-mile trip on a donkey across the Sinai Desert to live with strangers might make one just a little bit irritable. Well, in the next portion of Scripture, verses 27 to 31 of chapter 4, we see that Moses and Aaron have the first big meeting with Israel. Verse 27, And the Lord said unto Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the mount of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. 
Well, God sends Aaron out into the wilderness to meet Moses. He said he would back in verse 14. And they go over the plan together. They meet in the Mount of God. That's Mount Horeb. That's the place where God first spoke to Moses about his assignment from that burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. That's the place where Moses had kept his father-in-law's sheep, and it's also the place to which Moses later returns with the Hebrews after the exodus from Egypt. Moses' father-in-law comes to this very same spot to visit and deliver Moses' family to him when we get over to Exodus chapter 18. And that's also where the giving of the law takes place. A lot happened on that place where the burning bush was. Then it's off to Egypt, and they go meet with the Hebrew leadership. Aaron does the talking as Moses directs, and they perform the miracles. The Hebrew leaders are relieved and impressed. Verse 31 indicates that Moses had a near 100% job approval rating at that point. They're thrilled that God will now deliver them from Egypt. Apparently, Zipporah and Moses' sons do not accompany Moses from Mount Horeb to Egypt. It appears that perhaps that was the original plan, But she did go back to Jethro's house to stay until the Israelites returned to Mount Horeb in Exodus chapter 18. At that point, Jethro brings Moses' family to him from Midian. In chapter 5, we have that big meeting scheduled with Pharaoh. Verse 1, And after Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you into your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick. As heretofore, let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tail of the bricks, which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof. For they be idle, therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. And the taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get you straw where you can find it. Yet not aught of your work shall be diminished." So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily task, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today, as heretofore? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants. And they say to us, Make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten. But the fault is in thine own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. Therefore you say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. 
Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you. Yet shall ye deliver the tale of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. After it was said, ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And then Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way, as they came forth from Pharaoh, they said unto them, The Lord look upon you, and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh, and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Well, Moses and Aaron do deliver the message to Pharaoh, but it doesn't go as smoothly as they'd hoped. Actually, God had told Moses back in Exodus 3.19, and again in 4.21 and 23, that the first round of negotiations wouldn't go so well, as a matter of fact, that they would fail. You'll notice that Moses did not begin his negotiations with a proposal to move the Hebrews out of Egypt altogether, but the proposal was to merely temporarily go into the desert to make a sacrifice to Jehovah. We see that in verse 3. This proposal, by the way, was per God's instructions to Moses back in chapter 3, verse 18. However, Pharaoh gets downright belligerent about the matter when he withdraws the straw supply and forces the Hebrews to work overtime because of Moses' request before Pharaoh. Of course, the Hebrews are firmly behind Moses, right? I mean, he did have the strong approval rating, remember that? Yeah, but that was before the Hebrew job superintendent started getting the beatings for reduced brick production. When they meet with Pharaoh to proclaim the unfairness of being required to supply the same amount of brick in the same amount of time, but without the provision of the straw, Pharaoh tells the Hebrews... He says to the leadership that they must have idle time on their hands. Otherwise, why would they have time to go out into the wilderness to make sacrifices? Suddenly, Moses' job approval rating has plummeted to, well, near zero. You know, voters can be finicky, can't they? So it's back to God for further marching orders. Would you dare talk to God like Moses did in verses 22 and 23? I mean, he blames God for Pharaoh's retribution against the Hebrews. Even though God had warned him, he told him in advance that Pharaoh would refuse the first offer. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 6, where God instructs Moses to go have another go at Pharaoh. Verse 1, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them, and I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers." And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. 
and I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land, concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Well, God speaks to Moses in verses 1 through 5 with a reiteration of the purpose here. It's the fulfillment of the promise of God that he'd made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob regarding Canaan. Again, may I remind you that God had told Moses that it wouldn't be a cakewalk. He told him that back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. But I'm guessing that Moses was looking for a little more support from his own people. God tells Moses to invoke the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as he sends him back to the Hebrews to give a pep talk. You know, get the people on board with the plan. Well, did it work? Well, Exodus chapter 6, verse 9 says, And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Well, guess it didn't work. So, what's next? We see an interesting differentiation made in verse 3 that might seem a little bit confusing. The name for God, Yahweh, Jehovah, however you prefer to pronounce it, that's the unique name designated for the Hebrews to differentiate the one true God from all the other gods, meaning false gods. Now, here's the confusing part. As we read the book of Genesis, we're presented with a narrative by Moses that continually refers to Jehovah, Yahweh, and is designated in our English Bibles in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. However, the differentiation is made here in verse 3 that in fact God was actually identified to the patriarchs by a different designation, translated here as God Almighty. That in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. So the point being emphasized in verse 3 is that while we do see the occurrence of the word Jehovah, Yahweh, in the book of Genesis, God actually introduced himself as El Shaddai, when he spoke with them in the book of Genesis prior to this occasion, when God tells Moses that the designation will change. In chapter 6, beginning with verse 10, we find God saying to Moses, Go speak to Pharaoh once again. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel, and unto Pharaoh king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, from a strictly human perspective, Moses does bring up a really good point when he goes back to God for counsel in verse 12. Here's his point. If my own people won't heed my words, how is it that Pharaoh will? Look at verse 13 for God's reply. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel and to Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Moses really doesn't need to understand how it's all going to work. 
He just needs to obey God's command. That was true of Moses, and you know, by the way, that's still true today. We just need to do exactly what God tells us to do. Now, we're going to interrupt this story, this conversation with God, and we're going to lay a little bit of genealogical groundwork, and we're going to establish to all of us exactly who Moses and Aaron are. This conversation with God resumes when we get down to verse 28. So, here are the credentials in verses 14 to 27. These be the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanuk and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These be the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel and Jamin and Ohad, and Jachin and Zohar and Sheol, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to the generations. Gershon and Kohath and Merari, and the years of the life of Levi were in 130 and 7 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni and Shimei, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath, Amram and Izhar and Hebron and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were in 130 and 3 years. And the sons of Merari, Mehali, and Mushai. These are the families of Levi according to the generations. And Amram took him Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife. And she bare him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were in hundred and thirty and seven years. And the sons of Izhar, Korah, and Nepheg, and Zikrah. And the sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Elzaphan, and Zithri. And Aaron took him Elisheba, daughter of Amenadab, sister of Naashan, to wife. And she bare him Nadab, and Abihu, and Eleazar, and Ithamar. And the sons of Korah, Azur, and Elkanah, and Abiasoph. These are the families of the Korhites. And Eleazar, Aaron's son, took him one of the daughters of Putiel to wife. And she bare him Phinehas, these are the heads of the fathers of the Levites, according to their families. These are that Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their armies. These are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. So, in these verses that we've just looked at, here's what we saw. We saw the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. These verses are shown to establish the authority of Moses and Aaron all the way back to Jacob's third son, Levi. Now, as we finish up chapter 6, the last three verses, verses 28 and 30, let's review the plan once again. Verse 28, And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord, speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Now that we understand by what authority Moses and Aaron are acting, let's continue the conversation Moses is having with God, which began up in verse 10 and was interrupted with the genealogy that began in verse 14 and ran all the way down to verse 27. This conversation with God continues in our next chapter, Exodus chapter 7, where we see that God will begin outlining his instructions to Moses concerning his next big meeting with Pharaoh. And we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 7 in tomorrow's reading. 
This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.